Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. I've been doing this podcast since September of 2012, and boy, are my lips tired. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. Our friend Neo is off doing yet another show, so he won't be able to join us today, but man, that guy's like a world traveler. He is just manifesting opportunities for him to share his thoughts, become things, motif everywhere right now, currently around the U.S., but don't be surprised if you start hearing about him going to other countries. It's just a matter of time. It's only a question of when it's going to happen. Um, haven't heard from our friend Debbie G yet, but uh, if she can make it, she'll drop in. Otherwise, we'll look forward to seeing her another week. But I do have a special guest joining me today, and her name is Janelle Green. And Janelle and I are going to be talking about something that we've made reference to on numerous occasions here on the show, but we haven't really done any deep dives on And this is a good opportunity to do it. We're going to talk about generational traumas or generational healing, depending on how you want to look at it. And uh, Janelle, um, I, I personally have my own generational issues I've had to work with. Um, I, I know yours are, are around divorce. I actually just went through a divorce, but I don't have that as a generational thing. My generational stuff has more been around businesses. My, my, I have loads of failed businesses in my family's background, and that's what I've been overcoming in my life. But that generational thing, it, it took me a long time to realize, first of all, that it was real. And then once I realized it was real, then it took me like, well, how the heck do you fix that? I mean, I can't fix somebody else's life. I'm having enough trouble with my own life, let alone my my grandparents. Forget that. That's not happening. So it's a challenging concept, and yet we're finding more and more that we have to deal with that. So first of all, welcome. Thank you for joining yeah. me. On today. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm excited to get into this. I feel like it's such an important um, and valuable topic that many of us don't understand. Or mm. don't even, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people thinking right now is like, oh, I don't have generation trauma. I'm fine. But I think as we go through this conversation, what we're going to really discover is that we don't even realize that we have it. Like it's in the blind mm. spot. And until you right. have someone who says, why do you do what you do? Or why did you say that? And where did that come from? And why do you have trust issues? We think we just were born with trust issues. Like, well, no, <laughs> we're not. Something happens in our life, usually around the between, sort of elementary school age. And then we, if we're not able to heal it or discover it or identify it, we go through life carrying this baggage around that feels so heavy and gets in our way. And it's like we keep stumbling. It's almost like, I, I love analogies. It's like walking with your shoelaces, your two shoelaces tied together. Oh. You keep wondering why you keep Why you're tripping. tripping. Yeah. And then when someone points out, have you looked down and seen your shoes? And they're tired. Mm. Like, oh, that's why I trip. But most of us go through life just feeling like, why do I keep tripping? What's wrong with my feet? What's wrong with my legs? What's wrong with me? And like you said, when we come into this life as, you know, young, first as infants and later as very young children, um, we, we don't have those kinds of fears. We, they, that's just not part of it. We kind of learn after a while, oh, wow, these things do exist. They are part of my life. They were part of my life when I joined this world in the first place. I just wasn't really aware of it consciously in this life. There are some yeah. people who say that we were conscious about it before we get here. I don't know. That may be true. But we are aware of it after we get here. We find out about it. Yeah, and, well, I didn't actually you know, discover mine till about, I would say, 10 years ago. And I'm 45. Right. Okay. So I don't, you know, it's definitely not something that, I mean, I think there's a lot of us that are very intuitive and can mm -hmm. kind of feel that. 
But I think that it just kind of depends on how we were raised and just sort of our innate ability. And for a lot of us, I Mm. think especially us very high intellect people who, Mm -hmm. you know, they they lean on their intellect versus emotion. They have a really hard time hearing that voice inside of them that says, no, you're not okay. And maybe you should spend some time looking. I think a lot of us, I would say 99% of us, what we do is we take on behaviors to numb it out, to avoid, to resist, Hmm. to deny that Hmm. we have these things. But when we go to bed at night, it's there. Right. Well, not just when we go to bed, it's there during the days too. I mean, the the thing that I notice about it when I think back um, with my own situation, my own case, my own family is that, like you say, I wasn't really aware of what it was for a long time. I was aware of it though. But the way I was aware of it yeah. was more like a vague feeling. It's like, I don't know what that is. It doesn't feel very good. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there because I don't like it very much, yeah. but, but it wouldn't go away. Yeah. So that's, so that's kind of what happened to me about, about 20 years ago is I actually took the time to sit and look and I had support, which is why, you know, I'm such a big fan of coaching. I had someone gently point to something that I hadn't seen before and to someone for someone to challenge me and say well you've got trust issues but consider they weren't always there so what happened to you and so I had to really like dial back that you know get back into my time machine and figure out when was that time and you know of course you see things in like high school and you see things as a you know a young adult but to really like rewind the tape as far as you can go and for me, you know, I saw that tape around like the age of nine. Mm-hmm. And you know what, what happened when I was nine was, um, so I'm sitting in, I'm sitting on my bed and it's nighttime. You know, there's, there's like moments of your life, even though it's been 30, 40 years and you just remember it, right? You, I remember sure. it was my time. I was in my PJs and my mom calls us down to the living room. And so I'm like, okay. So I just went down and I, when I enter the living room, there's my mom standing there with my dad and a set of luggage. Mm. And my mom looks at us kids. I was nine. My, my sister was six and my brother was only three. And my mom looks at us and says, kids, dad's leaving. He doesn't love us anymore. I, that's, that last piece was just a little bit of a jab at my dad. But as a yeah. nine-year-old, that really stuck with me. Yeah. And as a daddy's girl, like that was heartbreaking to hear. And so he actually, there was actually not very much conversation. He just kind of looked at us, turned around and left. And so I am standing at the bay window watching my dad leave and like waiting for him to turn around and say, hi, joking or something. Right. And he continued to walk. I, I, I feel like it was winter time, but I remember there was this brown car waiting for him. Hmm. And what I what you guys don't know is that, you know, my dad had an affair with my mom's best friend. Who oh, boy. Wow. She was in our basement for probably five years. She was like family. She was like my aunt, you know, my younger aunt. And um, he left us and he chose to live with them. And, you know, as a young person, you, you kind of lose track of time. But, you know, according to my mom, it was three or three or four years that he was gone. Mm. And then fate would just have it that he would get really sick. 
So my dad, um, we have diabetes in our family and mm. my dad, um, both his kidneys failed. Wow. So he was now on a transplant list, couldn't work. And so his girlfriend kicked him out because wow. he couldn't, he couldn't do anything for them. So he came back to my mom. My mom was a, a carried in the, you know, a nurse. And of course, like half the Filipinos in the world. <laughs> um, yeah, well, is that a law? I didn't realize that they had passed a law. law. <laughs> you know, and when you're, when you're a girl growing up in a Filipino family, like that's the dream is that you become uh, a nurse. Like, okay. Or a nun. <laughs> or a nun. Okay. <laughs> certain overlap um, there, I think, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, anyway, so, so my dad comes back and says, honey, you know, I'm really sick and I need someone to take care of me. Will you take me back? And my mom being the good, you know, Catholic woman who's been on her knees for the last three years, praying to God that her husband is going to come back was like a yes. And she said, under two conditions, number one, if you're here, you're here. You cut all ties with them, right? Cause he was doing this back and forth thing and it was just, it was painful. Um, and then the second thing is she says, we just forgive each other and we never talk about this ever again. Ooh, boy. Wow. So my dad was a yes. And for the next 13 years, which is until he passed away, my mom honored her word. She mm. never brought it up, no matter how many arguments or how much he pissed her off. She never, my dad would actually bring it up. And my mom's like, nope, we're not talking about this. This is over. We're not going to let that poison our family. And the cool thing was that my dad was a better father. Because he wasn't working, he started to go to church again. He was a better husband. And the last 13 years were amazing. But, you know, until he passed away. And so even though the story ended on a good note, you know, as I got into my 20s and started to think about marriage and relationships and love, I started to notice some of my tendencies, you know, regarding who the kind of men I was as attracted to. And the fear and the sort of the anxious attachment style that I had to these men. And I would, for some reason, choose the guys that my mom never liked <laughs> or that would like cheat on me, you know. And, and there's this moment where I'm like, why does this keep happening to me? What is it mm. about me? And so that I really started to get curious about that. Mm. And what I discovered was standing there, nine years old, at that window, what I had subconsciously decided was three things. Number one, I can't trust anybody. Number wow. two, everybody I love will leave me. Mm. And number three, I'm unlovable. Because if, if my dad really loved me, he would have stayed. He told wow. me he loved me, but he left. So, so, but of course, all of this was in the subconscious, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So as someone, as a, as a young person who thinks these things without even realizing I'm thinking these things, guess how my life, how my life was turning out. You know, and then I, I ended up getting married to someone who I shouldn't have gotten married to. And I, you know, looking back, I'm like, I got married for the wrong reasons. I got married out of fear of being alone. You know, be, especially being Filipino, it's always like, when are you getting married? When are you going to have kids? <laughs> like, oh, it's like at, at 18, that, that starts. And so here I'm like, okay, this man, you know, he's got a great resume. He checks all the boxes. Good enough. Let's go. Right. <laughs> Um, but you know, again, standing where I'm standing now, I'm really looking at going, wow, that was like me not loving myself. That was me being like, please just someone take me because I'm unworthy. 
So mm. I'm just going to go with whoever, you know, shows love and promises me the world. That's who I'm going to, cause I don't want to wait. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be this, this, this like, you know, mistress, seamstress woman with a bunch of cats who just like dies old and, and alone. Um, but you know, so that whole thing was so momentous and such a pivotal point in my life. And even till now, you know, as life kind of throws what life does to me, sure. when I get triggered, when I go into that really dark place, I check in. I'm like, okay, am I being triggered by that night? What that nine year old was dealing with, or is it something else? And it's really just about acknowledging it bringing compassion to it and mm -hmm. really distinguishing that, okay, that was me when I was nine. This is not happening right now. And it's, I'm getting them collapsed. So I need to uncollapse that. And so I really had to do the work around, okay, my dad left. My dad got a girl pregnant. That's what happened. But what I made it mean, that's where the pain lives. Mm-hmm. I'm unlovable. I can't trust people. Nobody will love me. But look, all that's the painful part. It's not even what happened. So I think, you know, a lot of the work that I do with my clients is helping them unpack that so they can really find freedom from the past so they can let it go. Because who we were when we were nine or the mistakes that we made when we were 12 or even 16 shouldn't be impacting us now. And yet it does. The guilt, the shame, the fear. Right. All of the, all of those egocentric emotions are still running the show until we stop and really own it and be like, yeah, this is my life. I have a really, I have a favorite saying, Walt, and I say this to myself every day and I say it to my clients every day. Pain and suffering only exist when you resist what is so. Mm -hmm. So when you resist that I shouldn't be this way, my life shouldn't be this way, my finances shouldn't be this way, my husband shouldn't be this way, my kids shouldn't be this way, that's where all that ugh, feeling comes from. And so for me, you know, my, my goal in life is really just to continue to let go, to bring compassion, to have new perspective, and to really remind myself, what am I really committed to? Because if I'm really committed to peace and joy in my life, then what is the point of me rehashing mistakes from 30 years ago that I can't change? All it does is make me feel crappy and guilty. And I think a lot of us carry guilt like it's this like trophy. It's like, I'm a good person if I feel guilt. Because if you don't feel guilt, well, maybe that means you're, you're you know, you're not taking responsibility. And what I challenge people is, well, what if you could just be that powerful person you are without the guilt? But <laughs> I think a lot of us, especially, you know, as children, that's how our parents controlled us is with guilt. Oh, yeah. Right? It's so, you know, when, when, when we did something good, our parents were like, you're so great. Oh, my gosh. I love you. You're amazing. But then when we, when we disobey or we don't do something that they expect, then we're we're shunned, we're alienated, mm -hmm. we're grounded, mm -hmm. we're right. Mm -hmm. And so it works as children. But the problem is, is we still continue that behavior as adults. And then we become these crazy people pleasing perfectionists who have such a hard time being happy. Mm -hmm. We're always comparing ourselves to our, our previous self or to other people 
who have nothing to do or have who don't share the same path that we do. And so I think, you know, we could be so much happier as a, just as a whole generally if we can really just like really be able to control what's going on up in the between our two ears. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't know if you're, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know if you're familiar with the Apple TV show, Ted Lasso. I, I like to make reference to it a lot because there's a lot of good stuff that I pull out of it. And as you were talking, one of the elements that come out of that show is an example of it. Uh, there's a character mm-hmm. named Dr. Sharon. She, she's not a coach. She's a therapist. But the the truth that she utters is still wonderful anyway. She says, the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's what I was thinking about when you were describing, you know, you're, you're looking at what really happened. What, what did I, what did I experience? Why did I think that? What you, you're yeah. asking all these questions going for that deep, deep truth. And then when you finally get there, it really pisses you off. Like what? Yeah. Well, you know, my style of coaching is I'm a very, you know, I have no, I have no filter. Let's just say that I have no filter. <laughs> I'm raw. Uh, I'm sometimes inappropriate. Oh, okay. (laughs) You know, one of the things that my clients really get from me is they get the solid truth. You know, and Mm. I say to them, I'm going to say stuff to you that no one else has the balls to say to your face. Mm. But you need to hear it. You might not want, want to hear it, but you need to hear it. If you are really committed to figuring out what's in the way of your happiness, you're going to have to be willing to put your ego aside. And listen with new ears. Like, for example, one of the things that really piss people off is when I tell someone that they don't listen. Like, Mm. I have people in full-on tears just from me pointing out that they don't listen. Wow. And it's like, you know this. You know in the back of your head you're not a great listener. And yet here you are bawling your eyes out and resisting what I'm saying when really you need to, like, the people who do really well in coaching are the ones that go, you know what? You're right. Oh my gosh. Okay. How do I take this as a gift, as a lesson and use it to become better rather than feeling like I'm being criticized and not feeling like I'm not good enough. It's like, yeah, this is what really like what growth mindset is really about, right? It's being humble enough to admit that you don't know all the answers and to get curious about how can you be a better you rather than always thinking that you're perfect and there's nothing wrong and there's no, there's, you don't need to change. I think we, we need, I, I, I believe, well, that if we're not growing, we're dying. Sure. Oh yeah. I think it's just, that that's a fact. It doesn't yeah. matter whether you believe it or not. It's a fact anyway. Yeah. It will but come back so to haunt people, you if you don't believe it. Yeah. But yet so many people live life like they just, they, they actually, you know, they, they say they don't want to live a groundhog day kind of life. <laughs> and yet they're unwilling to do anything different, right? They want to lose the 50 pounds or whatever, but they're unwilling to get to the gym and eat well. They say they want a great marriage. And yet all they do is criticize their, their partner and pick out all the things that they're doing wrong rather than pointing to all the things and appreciating all the things they're doing right. You're touching upon something that I think is is a pretty important point, and I, I'm not so sure that we've spent a lot of time here on the program addressing it, so I want to address it now. Yeah. And that's the question of what does it take to be successful when working with a coach? You, you made a really valid point. You made the point that it is largely dependent upon the person being coached. 
they have to in some way be receptive is the way I would put it. Um, but talk about what you think is the, the, the difference in, in mindset and behavior, whatever way you want to come at it between somebody who is ready to be coached and someone who isn't. Mm, yeah, that's so great. And you're right. You know, like a lot of people come to me and say they want coaching, but in conversation, I'm like, they're not ready for coaching. <laughs> um, the first thing is that, you know, I, I think of it kind of like being an Olympic coach. It's like they have a dream. Mm. They have a game they're trying to win. In my world, the game is called being happy and having a peaceful, loving marriage and, and, and a thriving family. That's, mm -hmm. that's the goal. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think what's different between coaching and therapy is the therapist is saying, okay, what are you doing wrong? Let's go into your child and like, let's go into the past and look there. As a coach, you know, I say to my clients, I'm not actually interested as much in your past as I am about your future. Who do you want to become? And what I find a lot of people who come to me because they're, you know, they're confused. Um, they, they're kind of in this place in life where they don't really know their purpose. And they're kind of just like barely keeping their head above water, right? Do you know what I mean? They're kind of in survival, mm -hmm. right? And when I ask them, okay, well, tell me, tell me why we're here. They can spend hours telling me what they don't want and what's wrong with their life. And I say, okay, well, okay, that's great. I got that. And maybe that's where a therapist is really great. But tell me, what is it that you actually want? Mm -hmm. And I, I'm no joke. 99.9% .9 of people that come to me can't answer that question. I totally get it. Believe They're me, like, I do. I don't know. I haven't thought about it. It's like, okay, so you've thought about all these things you don't want. You're clear about that yet you don't actually know what happiness looks like. So no wonder you can't find happiness because you don't even know what that looks like, even if it smacked you in the face. So I think that's the first thing is that, you know, you got to know what you want. And because I say to people, listen, I'm kind of like the Sherpa, right? You, you know, <laughs> I can get you up the mountain, but you got to first of all figure out, do you want to go up that mountain? Mm. Right. And, you know, what, what's, what, which mountain do you want to go up? Because I can get you there. You just got. And, and why do you want to go up in the first place? Why do you want to go up in the first place? Yeah. Because yeah. to say I, I want to lose twenty pounds, and yet if I check in with you and you know say, what would you do this week to lose that twenty pounds? And you say nothing. I was too busy working. Well, then you're not actually committed. And so for me, you know, it's really about working with people who have a really big vision for their life, that they're willing to be kind of unreasonable and say, I am willing to do whatever it takes to be the kind of person that makes, that is like the best partner, like the best spouse. Cause I think a lot of times we expect other people to show up and stand up hmm. yet. We're not, we're unwilling for ourselves to show up and stand up. So you've identified two key pieces there. The first key piece being to decide I'm going to answer the question with detail of what it is that I want instead of not just what I don't want. And the second part being, I am willing to commit to make that happen. Yeah, because change, you know, people, one of the things that women especially complain about is that my husband said he was going to change, but then he didn't. So that must mean that he doesn't care. And so as a coach, I go, well, is that really true? Or perhaps he wants to change, but doesn't know how. And the reason we don't know how is because change exists 
outside of what we think we know. Change occurs in the uncomfortable realm. Change occurs outside of our comfort zone, right? And so unless we're willing to get uncomfortable, you know, like, again, going back to the Olympic trainer, unless you're willing to change your eating habits, get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and train for 10 hours, if you're that committed, then, yeah, your chance of getting gold highly increases. But if you're like, I kind of want to be a, I want to be an Olympic star, but I kind of want to just keep eating burgers and fries, well, then you're not going to win. And so they, these these clients of mine have to be willing to to set aside all of their judgments and resentments so that they can create something newly. Otherwise, they're just going to be stuck in the same old swamp of old resentment that and it's going to take them to their grave or divorce. Interesting choice of words too. You said they they want to be they they need to be willing to. You didn't say they need to actually do it. You said you need to be willing to, which I think is a good choice of words because one of the reasons they're coming to you in the first place is they can't seem to figure out how to do it. They try and it doesn't seem to get them anywhere. But the willingness, you have to have the willingness before you have something to work with. Yeah, because that's the first step. Like I deal with a lot of infidelity. Mm. And so I get people who go, I want to forgive, but I don't know how. Mm -hmm. And I said, as long as you're willing to forgive, the rest is easy. <laughs> but if you say to me, well, I want to be happy, but I'm not willing to, to let go of this. Well, then you're not going to get to that, that happy place you're trying to get to because you're still stuck in the world of judgment and the past. You can't create a new future that's inspiring and what you want from, from fear. I believe that, you know, the opposite of love is not hate. It's fear. Fear is yeah. what keeps us apart. The fear of rejection the fear of not being good enough, mm -hmm. right? The fear of failure, mm -hmm. the fear of looking bad. That's what runs the show. And so, you know, that's why I think this work coaching is so, can be so miraculous because something that maybe a therapist would take 10 years to unpack, I can unpack in like two phone calls. It is so extraordinary. Like I have clients who are like close to divorce. They come on a free consult with me and I give them one or two tips just to little tweaks usually around their communication or the way they think about their partner mm -hmm. and as soon as they implement it they're like Janelle wow like we did that thing you said and it's like totally changed. so they don't actually need coaching from me and that's great it's like I don't, I don't want everyone to come with me just to come with me it's like but if you're stuck you're like Janelle I got what you said I just we just keep getting stuck in the same vicious cycle right of, mm -hmm. of not listening to each other and disrespecting yeah. each other. We just don't know how to break the cycle. The beauty, and I think one of the most valuable things of having a coach is being accountable. Being accountable for who you say you are and want to become and someone to call you out and point out where you're sabotaging mm. that dream. And we yeah. don't even realize it. Yeah. I, my, my ex is a former therapist and uh, mm. one, one of the things that she used to uh, really preach to her clients was grow or go, which is not the typical oh. message that most therapists give, but she, she wouldn't tolerate it. If, if you weren't willing to, to take steps forward, I mean, she was done with you. Yeah. It, to continue to work with you, continue to help you, you know, uproot those things that have been haunting you from your past. If you're willing to do the work, but if you're not doing the work, get out of here, go. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I do consults a lot and I go, okay, so tell me what, tell me what's, what's the problem. And usually one person will say, here's the list of our problems. The other partner will say, no, everything's fine. I don't see a problem. Even though it's super clear that there's a problem, they're like, no, I don't see it. They're just in total denial. Mm. And, and so it makes my job really difficult. Because they're unwilling to look at that thing that what th- that they hired me for. So I'm like, so what? We're just going to talk about the weather? Like, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to help you win at whatever game you want to win at. But if everything else, like work, is more important than your marriage, than you becoming the kind of person you've always dreamed to be, then having a coach is, is kind of useless because you're not taking advantage. And I say to my clients all the time, use me up. I have so much experience. And I think one of the, the greatest gifts I give my clients is compassion. And the reason I feel like I can give such a deep um, experience of compassion is because I've been there. You know, a lot of what my clients deal with, I've, I've experienced myself, whether it was in my divorce whether it was as a child, whether it was like sexual abuse, bullying, you know, any of those things. Like, I feel like that's why I can listen in a way that my clients have never been listened to before. Mm-hmm. And I can, I have, you know, I think my gift to my clients is my love. You know, as a Filipino, we, I think in our culture, love is so, is like right there with God. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's just innately for me. So I'm like, I decided to create a business that where I'm like, so many people need love. You know, I sometimes, I, I have a lot of people who cry to me, Walt. And it's, mm. I sometimes think I'm like a collector of tears. And believe it or not, it's just amount, same amount of women as, as to men who cry. Mm-hmm. It's not women. But I'm really clear in, in that moment when I'm sitting or I'm sitting on Zoom across from my client that it is such an honor to be with someone in this most vulnerable moment that even probably their spouse has never seen them in. Mm-hmm. But I think we all need someone to hear us, to, to have us feel like we matter. Yeah. To listen to us with such compassion and grace and say, you know what? It's okay. Whatever you did wrong, infidelity, whatever, it's okay. You're human. Like you can, you're still worthy. You're still lovable, you know? And I think we just, we, we beat ourselves up more than anyone oh, else. Oh, God, can. yeah. That was one of my favorite things to point out, and many others have pointed it out as well on this program, which is that if we treated our best friends the way we treated ourselves, we wouldn't have best friends. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, the way I grew up, you know, I was a very um, gifted child. Mm. Not child person. But, you know, I've kind of been one of those people that, um, a lot of things came easily to me. Like I did really, really well in school. I did really, really well in my career. I did really, really well as a musician, you know, and, but as an adult, all of a sudden, like all of these things are really, really hard. Right. And we, um, I can't remember where I was going with that. But <laughs> <laughs> what about? Um, That's right. I'll rescue with another question. No okay, problem. Okay, okay. <laughs> I was going down a path and I was like, where was I going? Sorry. It happens. It happens periodically. Sometimes I can just talk my way through it, but sometimes yeah, I yeah. can't. <laughs> you know, I, I, like I said, I'm a no filter. If I'm like, if I forgot my thought, <laughs> I was like, you know what? I forgot my thought. 
Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to bring in a question that kind of ties into something you were starting to talk about. I, now, yeah. I get the impression that most of your clients is just one person that you're working with, but I also get the impression sometimes you're working with a couple. And I actually it, mostly work with couples. Mostly with couples. Okay. So that, that raises a really interesting question and, and a problematic question, one I'm sure you've run into many times. If you get a couple in, very often they aren't in agreement about what they're trying to accomplish. One person wants to fix something, make something better. The other person, like to use the phrase you were using before, I don't see anything wrong. That's a challenge because now you got a, a people that they, they don't even have the same goal in mind. Yeah. And this is the exciting part is having them realize that they are actually committed to the same thing. So, you know, when I do these consults, my first question is, what's the, you know, why are we here? And it's usually mm-hmm. problem, 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 problem. Mm-hmm. And then what do you want? At the end of the day, what do you want? Like 30,000 foot view, right? Like high Mm. level. What is it that you want? What they realize is they want the same thing. They want to be happy. They want to be appreciated. They want their kids to grow up with both their parents. They want to feel connected. They want to feel respected. We're not that different. But I think a lot of times couples look at it like, oh, He likes chocolate and I like strawberry. Oh, we're too different. We can't get along. It's like, no, 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 no. You both like ice cream. And it's okay that you like different flavors, but you both like ice cream. And so that first consult is really that goal is like, okay, what can we both agree on? And what do we both want? And then are we actually in agreement that that's what we want? Like that's the destination Mm -hmm. that we both want to get to. It's called... So for some couples, more sex, for example, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, well, if you guys both agree on that, that's what's important. How you get there is irrelevant. But you just got to know that you're moving in the right direction. If someone wants to live in New York and the other one wants to live in L.A., well, that's That's going to be a really hard marriage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's not an easy solution to that one. Not even a a difficult solution. That's an almost impossible solution at that point. Yeah. Just because there's so much at, in, at odds with each other in terms of what their wants are, their, their desires are different. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think it's, first of all, finding out what we have in commonality. Mm. And then the second thing is really understanding what is actually wanted and expected. Because a lot of times, you know, let's be honest, Walt, most of us were never taught how to communicate in a healthy and loving and respectful way, especially in a romantic relationship, you know, Mm -hmm. especially in talking about generational trauma, depending on what we saw in our parents, if our parents were even together Mm -hmm. and usually it's negative. Like most of my clients have all mommy daddy issues. It's negative. They saw their dad screaming. They saw their mom crying. They saw dad shutting down and numbing out and leaving the house. Like, and then we end up repeating these behaviors. Mm-hmm. Even if we know it's not right, even if we know dad shouldn't have been hitting mom, dad shouldn't have uh, yelled at mom, whatever, right? We can't help but repeat those habits because that's what we saw. That children. was our model. That yeah. was our model. And so it's like, how do we undo that? And it's, again, going back to first, like, acknowledging it and then taking responsibility and then being willing to do the work to heal whatever needs to be healed. Maybe it's, you got resentment with your dad because he was so mean to your mom. I don't know, right? But really being able to trace that back and then bringing healing to that so that now you can be present and move forward distinct from what happened 
as a kid and have a different kind of relationship and not repeat. I think a lot of my, you know, a lot of people are so afraid to be their parents, right? <laughs> or they don't like, they, they, they don't have a great relationship with their parents and yet they become their parents. Yeah. Well, it's a very common thing, I think, among therapists and coaches. I've had lots of both here on the program and, and this shows up over and over again that people get into these fields because they're trying to resolve issues in their own lives. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I love that you said that because no one's ever caught that. You know, <laughs> as coaches, we know that. And I know that intuitively that, yeah, why I find this work so satiating and so fulfilling is that I get to heal a bit of myself mm. every single time I'm with my clients. And it's such a great reminder because sometimes I'm like, Damn, what I said was so awesome. I should really follow my <laughs> <laughs> But it's always a great reminder to me, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and the motivation getting in in the first place is very often for the exact reason you gave, that the model that we each had growing up, um, or in the case of, of the, the future therapist or the future life coach, that model was insufficient. It didn't have all the details filled in. And what it did have filled in was pretty dysfunctional. And the person didn't know, well, what should I do instead? So that's why they got into it. They wanted to learn what does a, a, a healthy relationship look like? Yeah. How do you, what are the healthy ways to handle you know, discord or, or disagreement? What, what, what are the healthy ways to, to handle pain, to handle disappointment, to handle setbacks, to handle frustrations? Those are often what are missing in those models that are so dysfunctional. Yeah, absolutely. And unless you have someone to guide you through it, mm. you know, I, I, I kind of think about it as like driving a car. So many of us drive without, can you imagine driving a car without a rear view mirror and side view mirrors? It'd be a <laughs> lot harder. You would probably crash a lot more. I mm. feel like so many of us are living life like that. And I feel like my role as a coach is I put in the, you know, I put in all the mirrors, but I also say, listen, I'm giving you the rear view mirror so you can see and protect yourself, but don't drive looking in the rear view mirror. And I'll, so mm. many people live life like that. And so, you know, and as far as the side view mirrors, I'm going, like, I, it's about knowing your blind spot. And you don't know your blind spot because it's your blind spot. But if you have somebody else who says, did you know you do this thing <laughs> when you communicate? Or did you know you interrupt a lot? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, whatever that is, that, that behavior, unless someone points it out to you, you wouldn't know because it's in the realm of the, the part that you don't know that you don't know. And, of course, you can't do anything about what you don't know that you don't know. Right? And so I feel like that's part of my role as well is really helping my client understand who they are, why they are the way they are, but also being able to move forward distinct and create powerfully who you want to become. It's, it's a torturous descri description that you gave, but it's accurate because we very often are not aware. Or, or if we do have an awareness, it's an awareness on an oblique level, it's yeah. like indirectly. Like you, you keep running into the same situation over and over again. You keep getting <laughs> the same result. And at some point you say, I keep getting the same result over and over again. Why am I getting the same? You said that earlier about you know your dating life. Why am I getting the same result over and over again? It, it does. You know, we we do kind of grasp that there's something going on. We just haven't quite figured out what it is yet. 
Yeah. And then even if we figured it out, we're like, okay, now what? Now what? Right. Yeah. And I think like that's really, I mean, this is a great example of what the difference is between therapy and counseling to coaching. You know, people often come to me after they've done counseling coaching or counseling and therapy. And they're like, okay, well, you know, I sat in that chair for a year or two and I was like, okay, great. I see all these things now, but then what do I do about it? So well, that's the, I, I think the difference, my, now I'm not a therapist or a coach, but my take on it is the therapist goes through to try to heal what happened in the past. The coach tries to take where you are and help you move into the future. To me, they're, they're looking in different directions. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess then I'm, in, I'm different because I do both. Well, there's and always I, an overlap. There's oh, always for an overlap. Sure. And, I, yeah. and I enjoy it because again, like, like you were alluding to five minutes ago, it's like, I really get to look for myself while I'm helping them look into mm-hmm. their past exactly that yeah. they can heal it i don't know I, I i really enjoy it and so i talk a lot about the inner child right i talk mm-hmm. a lot about our subconscious and i've actually learned a technique to help reprogram the, the subconscious mind which i love but then also like you know my my old job before i became a coach is i used to be in sales and so for me looking forward having a vision being knowing what i'm committed to and my purpose is something that is really easy and natural for me, mm-hmm. but not very easy and natural for other for most people. And so I mm-hmm. really help them get invested, enrolled, feeling emotional about what this dream life that they're trying to create looks like. Mm-hmm. And so that gives us sort of the fuel to be, That's okay, right. we're now ready to do the climb. Okay, are you ready? Like, are you actually ready to do the climb? Because if you're like, yeah, I'd love to climb that mountain, but it looks really, really hard. Well, you're probably going to be, you know, dragging your feet the whole time and I'm going to be carrying you. And I'm not, I'm not interested in that. I'm really interested in like having clients that are like, let's go, let's go. I want to get to the top of the mountain because I see what's possible there. And I want, and it's so much fun. And I would say, I would say 90, 95% of my clients are like that. They're like, okay, let's go. Right. And they do the work and they do the homework and they journal and they look and they put their ego aside and they're like, oh my gosh, I just realized all this stuff about myself. It's like, it's such a powerful experience that very few of us actually get to, to have in life. So I love, I love what I do clearly. <laughs> really? I never had no idea of that. <laughs> no, it's quite obvious actually. Yeah. And you know, and, 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 and to just to kind of tie off this whole generational trauma thing. The reason why I'm so passionate about, so first of all, I don't have kids. My husband and I are unable, but you know, I love children and I'm, and I'm so passionate about family, right? As a Filipino, as a, as a Catholic woman, that is so, that is my, that is my foundation. That is my, that is my center. You know, that's what my roots, that's my roots. And, um, I've had so many people say to me, my 10 year old, my 12 year old daughter just told me that she never wants to get married. Mm. And what that, what that tells me and what makes me, what creates fear inside of that for me is I picture a world not far from now where we don't have that anymore. And everyone has like two moms or no dads and we have step this and half and not like there's anything wrong with that. But I just feel like the core values of what family is about is disappearing. You know, we say we're committed to marriage and yet it's like, 
you know, so many, I have one person, I met one person who was like, if my wife doesn't have sex with me four times a week, I'm divorcing her. Oof. If she, if I catch her having a drink at any point, I'm divorcing her. I'm like, really? <laughs> that's, that's what it, that's all it takes, you know? And, and they don't have kids, so not a big deal. But when you have children, like, again, being a nine-year-old in that, in that scenario with my parents, what I made up was that my dad didn't love me. And that's not the case, but that's mm-hmm. what I made up. And now mm-hmm. I'm going through life healing that. And so many of my clients who have parents who have separated or parents who have abandoned them are dealing with all of those old emotions. Mm-hmm. And it's making us sick. It's making us lonely. It's making us depressed. And we are just, what I'm really discovering, especially in the corporate world, is so many people say, you know what? Love is not for me. I'm just going to go and make lots of money. Thinking that that's what happiness is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. And it makes me so, so sad. Mm-hmm. And that's why this whole generational trauma thing is really, really a big topic for me oh. that I want to bring to light. I can see that. Well, earlier you were talking about um, the... Let's see. Well, make sure I'm, I'm <laughs> framing this, framing this the way that I want to frame it. You're talking about the importance of knowing what it is that you want instead of just what you, what you don't want, which kind of, for me, that throws back to, to, I mean, this show originated around the idea of law of attraction. Yeah. One of the main teachers of law of attraction is Abraham Hicks. And one of the Abraham Hicks main teachings is, um, you experience what you don't like to help you know what it is that you do like. You experience what you don't want so that you can have a better idea of what you do want. But there's also that, kind of a it's not a trap it's more like a place to get stuck mm-hmm. because like you said if you don't actually take that information about what you don't want or don't like and use it as an opportunity to kind of take a moment and pause and say okay so what is it i really do want instead you never actually make it to step three in the manifestation process you're still stuck mm-hmm. between steps one and two and, and that's the the big role that the the coach plays is to help the person who's kind of stuck between steps one and two. How do they get to step two and then over to step three where they can start manifesting the kinds of lives that they want to have? So that, yeah. that's a big part of what you're doing. The generational piece, when you introduce that, that creates a complication that is actually part of the Abraham Hicks model, but they don't really talk about that in detail. And that, yeah. that piece is there is a vibrational essence. That's the way we usually describe it. There's a vibrational essence that carries on generationally. And it can carry on even, I mean, in the case of the story that you told, you told a story about how you experienced your parents' divorce and then you experienced your own divorce. So you were alive through both of it. But it can also play a way, play in a way that it, it happens before you're even born. And then energetically it enters your life and it plays out in your life anyway, despite the fact you weren't even alive yet. Yeah. You know, I'm actually dealing with this. Seriously. I'm like, I've never actually talked about this before, but there's this part of, okay. So. <laughs> I'm really committed to creating this coaching business that is going to impact at least 10 million lives before I die. Woo. Now there's a goal. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, there's a part of me that I grapple with every single day. And it sounds like this. Who do you think you are? And I'm like, where did that come from? Because like I said to you, when I was young, I've always been top of whatever it was I was doing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I'm wondering, like, where did that, who do I think I am come from? 
And so, you know, I've been talking to healers and things like that. And all of them say it's all gender. It's like my ancestral line, especially on my mom's side. My grandma only had a grade four education. She worked in a cigarette factory for like cents a day or cents an Mm -hmm. hour. Mm -hmm. She had seven children Mm. with three different men. And they lived in such poverty. Yeah. And even though I was born in Canada, there's so much of that, that the way of thinking and mm-hmm. that sort of like scarcity mentality. Oh yeah. That I feel is like, it, I don't actually think it's mine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's really been um, part of my journey is to really, how do I bring compassion to that? And how, again, how do I stay committed to what it is that I want and not allow other people or even my own fears get in the way of that dream? Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of us, you know, and, and what you were saying about a few minutes ago about um, don't want versus want, I think part of it, to be honest, is, is it's a self-worth thing. Like we don't think we deserve yeah. to sure. have what we want. We don't, we, it's almost like we need permission. So sometimes that's what my clients are looking for, for from me is just permission to want those things mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah. to validate them. But I think that's another thing is that we grew up in this society where we're constantly looking for validation from other people because that's what how we grew up as kids, right? You know, if we, we look to our parents like, did I do good, right? And then as adults, we're doing that to other the people around us. Did I do good? Did I please you? When at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. All you need to do is please yourself. But we put so much weight into what other people think about us because we don't love ourselves. And so, again, for me, that's that's part of the work that I'm doing. Like, If I want to have this kind of business um, that I want to create, I need to start working with my own self-worth. Like, what mm-hmm. am I? And, and, you know, and it really plays a part in the kind of clients I bring in. If I meet someone who's got, like, a really icky vibe, I will actually decline working with them. I won't even make an offer because I I know I love myself enough to say no to the things I know are not going to bring me joy and are not in alignment with who I say I am in the world and what Mm -hmm. I'm committed to. So I think that's the first thing is like, what are you committed to? Mm -hmm. And where's your boundary? And where's the boundary? Yeah. They go hand in hand. They're really... You know, they're two pieces of the, of the same stick, so to speak. Yeah. In fact, uh, this this whole generational thing, ha- there, there, there's a uh, a way of understanding it that I I find to be very helpful. It, I, I think of it in terms of the fact that everything is vibrational in essence, including humans, and that our thought patterns also create vibration in our behaviors. I mean, we're just we, we're vibrating creatures. I mean, like we're, oh boy, we're vibrating everywhere. <laughs> and in the process of that vibration, we're also through that vibration, we're we're passing things along. So that that's how you end up with on, on the more positive side of, of the scale. That's how you end up with with the next generation coming along and just intuitively knowing how to use a computer or a smartphone. That you know the older generation they, they can barely even figure out the new generation we know how to do it why because generationally it got handed along so that's the positive side of it but but vibration it doesn't matter what kind of vibration it is all vibration gets passed along so the negative vibrations go passed along too those include the things like well you're not good enough you know you shouldn't be doing this you're too poor blah, blah, blah. all those they all get passed along 
Yeah. Everything gets passed along. It all gets passed along. So yeah. what that points to, among other things, is there's probably a whole lot more that we're not even perhaps aware of that we are picking up as behaviors, as patterns that are generational rather than our own lives. Yeah, I know. It's so fascinating. And, you know, talking about vibrations, I, you know, I pray and as a new business owner, you know, I noticed my prayers have changed. Mm-hmm. And my prayers used to be like, help me, help me, help me, Lord. How do I get to this next level that I want to get to? And as an overachiever, like, (laughs) that is my thing. I'm always like, okay, what's next? What's next? Right? Mm -hmm. But um, one of the things that uh, I've started to change in my prayer is instead of being like, help me, help me, Lord, taking the place of like, it's already done. Mm -hmm. Like, knowing and trusting in my faith. And in the purpose that God has put me on this path, because it was, it was like blaring, beep, boop, beep, boop. like me becoming a coach was not like just this thing I came up with. Like it was quite divine in how it came to me. And so I've been really leaning into that trust and, mm-hmm. and realizing that I used to think I was in the driver's seat of my life. And now I realize not only am I not even in the passenger seat, I'm in the back seat of my life. <laughs> like there's only so much that I can control. And part of it is like really just trusting that God will, will bring it when it's, you know, or the universe will bring it when it's time, mm-hmm. when it's time for me. And maybe right now is not my time. And no matter what I do, again, being an overachiever, I do all these things and yet nothing works. So it's like, okay, is it me or is it just not my time? Right. And so my prayers have now been, thank you, Lord, for what you're about to bring to me. Thank you for that next client that's about to come through my door. Rather than this, like, again, scarcity, help me, help me, help me, help me. It's like, thank you. Thank you for giving me everything I've got. Thank you for what's about to come. I am so excited. I cannot wait to see what next month is going to look like. And talking about vibration, man, that is such a vibrational shift. It's huge. Yeah. That, that's, that's changing the entire dialogue that you're having with yourself and with, with your world around you, the universe at large, God, however you want to label it, but you're, you're changing your entire relationship with the stream of all that is. Yeah. And really getting that I'm enough and that success isn't just a number of a, a, a number in my bank account. And that's kind of how I was thinking about business. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of shifted that to say, you know what? My role in this life is to bring healing and love to the world. That was the message that I got. Mm. I got downloaded to myself and that I'm a Mm -hmm. healer. Mm -hmm. I just need to trust that. And whatever is meant to come my way, I will be guided. And I just need to trust in that rather than taking this very egocentric approach and just being like trying to like force and like push and push. It's not fun. Mm. And I notice when I can just sit back. Be intentional, not being lazy, but really being intentional, bringing the love. All of a sudden, serendipity starts to happen. And I could go on vacation for a week and come back, and all of a sudden, I've got seven new clients. I've got someone asking me to speak. I've got all these new opportunities that I didn't even expect. It just came. And so I have also really been working on my vibrational energy and going, how can I be the best version of me so that every time I come in with a client, that they get 110% of me and that a little bit of me rubs off on them. Mm-hmm. 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 And uh, 
Yeah. That's good. That's really good. Uh, we're, we're running low on time. I'm just realizing there's a couple things we need to get to talk sure. about. You have a program that we haven't talked about yet, Resetting Your Marriage. Talk about that for a moment. Yeah. Well, you asked me a question earlier, which I didn't respond. So I'm going to answer that for question first. The way my program works is I when couples come to me and say, we need help with our marriage or our relationship, the program that I've created is unique because it's not just addressing the immediate concerns of the the couple but what I actually include because I'm also a life coach is I spend time with them privately mm-hmm. I, I kind of alluded to it earlier but so not only do they get to work with me on skills and behavior change in the relationship but in the private sessions we go deep we go into talking about their parents we go talking about you know childhood emotional wounds we talk about what their personal dreams are that may be separate from the relationship. And so that's why I can move and clients progress so fast because I'm hitting them from all directions. Mm-hmm. I'm hitting them from a conscious level as well as a subconscious level. I'm dealing with their inner child. I'm dealing with all of that. So people don't typically don't spend more than six months with me because they don't mm-hmm. need to. There's, mm-hmm. they're, they just get, yeah. And again, that's why I'm so particular about the clients I take on. Cause if, they're kind of people that are like only half in, half out. That's not, that's not going to work for me. Right. Yeah. Uh, so my resetting my workshop, uh, resetting your marriage workshop is a workshop that I created for people who say, you know what? We really love each other. We're just not happy and we can't quite figure out why. Okay. You know, sometimes it's a midlife thing. Sometimes they just got so many kids and so many. Mm-hmm obligations that they're unable to set aside mommy and daddy time, romance Mm -hmm. time, connect time. Sometimes it's infidelity. And, you know, it's so interesting with this whole social media thing because now people will go, my husband cheated on me or my wife cheated on me. Okay, well, tell me what actually happened. Was there like intercourse involved? Well, no, I caught them texting someone. I was like, okay. So, you know, technology and social media is kind of, created this interesting issue or problem to solve that is like, yeah, it's infidelity, but is it really <laughs> right? And so it's, you know, um, but yeah, so I wanted to create a workshop that would help people. First of all, figure out like, first of all, is this what I want? Like, do I actually mm-hmm. want to reset? And then once I decide that, how do we take those first two or three steps to really reset? Like hit mm. the reset button. Because right. if you're going to live in the past, you know, kind of like what my parents did. They hit the reset button. Mm-hmm. Their future was distinct from what had happened. And so the, the, the workshop is really about how, to, well, first of all, how do I even have that conversation with my partner when mm-hmm. we're already like barely speaking? Mm. How do I enroll them in a vision that I have for this family? And how do I get feedback from them to see if they're on the same page? Because a lot of times... They don't even know. I'll say to them, so does your, I'll say to them, does your partner want to save your marriage? And they're like, I don't know. Like, what do you mean you don't know? (laughs) You don't know if your, 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 your partner is happy. You don't know if they actually want to be in the marriage. Have you not talked about this? They're like, no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, yeah. So I think that's, yeah. Okay. And, uh, that, can be a stepping stone toward working with you directly as a coach. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So um, I can send you the link to the workshop. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the, if you, if you watch the entire thing, it's about an hour. If you watch it till the end, there's actually a special gift that I give um, attendees. Oh, nice. It's like a takeaway to really start to start this process. Mm-hmm. So by the time they come to me, they know what they want. They know mm-hmm. what they want to save this marriage. And a lot of times, Walt, it's the kids. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we want to, we want to stay together because of the kids. Yeah. But a lot of people who have a fixed mindset, they think it's one or the other. Either I'm happy or stay in the family, stay with them, stay with my partner. And I, as a coach, I'm like, why not be both? Why not stay in your family and be happy? And most people don't see that as an option. They think it's one Mm -hmm. or the other. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I just open up their mind to what's possible. Okay. So if somebody wants to learn more, how do they find you? They can find me at saveourmarriage.ca or my name, janellegreen.com. Okay. And I'll be posting the workshop, uh, I'll be posting the workshop on the website so they can access that. And we'll make sure we'll include a link in the show notes so they can get there very easily. We like to make things easy whenever, whenever we possibly can. If we, if we can, you know, it's always nice to make things easy for people. Um, so that, that just leaves one more thing that I need to share with you because, uh, the people who I have on my program, I'm, I'm very particular too. I need to make sure that all the people who come onto my program are givers and you're definitely a giver. That's one of the reasons why you're here. Um, but givers also tend to be a little bit shortchanged in the way our current IT society works in that givers give out all the time. They're giving information, they're publishing, they're talking on podcasts, they're putting out books, they're making courses, they're doing all this stuff. Um, yeah, they have their business side, but there's all the, you know, the, the free side, if you want to call it that, which is wonderful, but they very rarely get credit for that. I think it's important to give credit. So on behalf of all those people that you've never met, that you'll never see, that you've been mm. helping in ways that you didn't even know about. Thank mm. you for what you've been doing and what you're continuing to do because it's important work. Thank you, Walt. Thank you. And I'm really starting to discover that. Like, I have no idea mm. who's watching my stuff. My sister just shared with me that sometimes while she's working, she puts on my podcasts in the background. Not- and I thought that was so cute. I'm like, you just listen to me? She's like, yeah, I just just like hearing you talk. And I didn't know that. I don't, I don't even know how long she's been doing that. And a lot of the people who come for consults, they said to me, you know, I heard your podcast and that's why I'm, that's why I'm here. And so, you know, in the beginning you wonder, like, does anybody hear me? Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had the reverse experience. I, I, I started off because I I needed help and then I found, oh my God, I have listeners. Oh wow. Where'd they come from? (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I think what's so, what's so gratifying for me, Paul, is I'm a recovering perfectionist, people pleaser. Mm. And I was so afraid when I started this business that I had to sugarcoat myself, that I had oh, to yeah. be like others. And as I've been doing the work and become and deciding who am I? Like, what do I stand for? And what is, why has God put me on this earth? What I've discovered is I am a loving disruption. <laughs> I, am, I love that description. I am a truth bomb <laughs> dropping kind of gal who will just say what there is to say, not because she wants to be liked, but she really wants to make a difference. And so, you know, I I find so much power in being authentic with you and being authentic with my people. 
and just knowing for myself, not every, I'm not everybody's cup of tea and that's okay. And it doesn't make me less valuable. Whereas before it was like, Oh, I got a negative comment. Oh my God. I need to shut down my business. You know, like there was such so much ego in there. And now it's like, you know what? Whoever is meant to hear me and hear my message will hear it. And they get a choice. They now know that there's someone out there who can really help them on a whole new level that was never available before. And that's why I'm, I'm so excited into in doing this work. And I feel like a success already to be able to be the kind of human being that says, no, this is the life that I want for myself. And I don't care what I have to give up or sacrifice to get there because this is so important and it's bigger than me. That's a beautiful thing. Thank you for sharing that bit with us. Thank you for sharing this time with us and spending time and, and sharing some of the many things you've learned over the years that you're able to help your clients with. And you're also helping people here on the show with. So thank you very much. Thank you, thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere. We will see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.